Okay, so the book of Ruth. This week, you know, I was really hoping that um, I could finish up the book of Ruth. You know, and every week I get up here, that is my hope and my prayer. And every week, I wouldn't say I'm disappointed, but every week I am pleasantly surprised that Adonai is like, nope, I got a lot for you, Chris. Uh, it was uh, about Wednesday when I was uh, putting together the message here, and I texted Mike, and I was like, Mike, I am trying to get through this book, but there is so much. I'm getting so bogged down. And he goes, hey, Baruch Hashem, you know, there's so much in every book. And I'm like, you're absolutely correct. He goes, but I really am excited to hear some uh, nuggets about the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. It was at that point that I realized I was not going to be covering the Goel this week. Because <laughs> we're only going to get through 10 verses. So last week we stopped at verse 11, and this week that's where we're going to pick up is verse 12. As we come into the book of Ruth, it happens during the time of the Judges. And sometimes we're reminded that living a life of faith can be hard and uncomfortable. It doesn't make it wrong, it just makes it what it is. Naomi has lost a lot. We've gone over that the past few times we're together. And yet we continue to see her faith or her trusting through every single verse of the book, even in the times when she doesn't realize she's walking out in faith, she is. It is the same trusting that we see Shalomo or Solomon pass on to his son in the book of Proverbs or Mishlei chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. And it says this, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my mitzvot, my commands. For they will add to the length of your days and years of life and shalom. Let kindness and truth never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will gain favor and a good name in the eyes of God and man. Trust in Adonai with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So last week we saw the beginning of the stages of God making Naomi's path straight. She had come to terms with the idea that maybe she should have stayed in the land in the first place. She probably shouldn't have left. God said, you are supposed to stay in this land. In the time that when you leave the land, my blessing's not going to always go with you. And as a result, though, we saw that she committed to Shuba. She, she repented. She returned back to the land of Israel. That's a good thing. She realized that. Unfortunately, she had to lose her husband and her two sons at the same time and any wealth that they had occurred. So she came back into the land poor, destitute, and a widow. She also brought with her her daughter-in-law, Ruth. We saw, though, that last week that Ruth ends up turning out to be a tremendous blessing for Naomi, but she doesn't realize it quite yet. But this is the week, these are the verses where that starts to change. It's because of her initial trusting or faith in God that God begins to bless her without her knowing. For God led Ruth, which remember, we remember means friendship, to seek out and provide for them. So a Gentile woman who's along with her comes to the land with her, and she says, can I go and glean in a field to get us some food? And Naomi says, hey, that's a great idea. You know, it's at this point, remember that Naomi came in when they returned to the land, and she said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter. And yet the scripture never refers to her as Mara, ever. It's only her own declaration. 
The scripture continually reminds, we, we refers to her as Naomi, as pleasant, because she's going through a life situation. She's a little bitter, but God says, I know you're bitter for a time, but it's going to get better. So, Ruth's led by the Spirit of God to glean from the field of Boaz barley for them to eat. We're going to get a running start this week, so we're going to be covering verses 10 through uh, uh, 12 through 22, but I want to get a running start, so we're going to actually start in the book, in the book of Ruth, obviously. Chapter 2, verse 8. So then Boaz said to Ruth, uh, this is after already Boaz has been instructed who Ruth is, and they're hanging out right now. He's introduced himself to Ruth after she's been gleaning all day in the field, and he's introducing himself, and he's sitting down, and he's like, hey, who are you? I want to get to know you a little bit better. So Boaz says to Ruth, listen to me, my daughter. Do not glean in any other field or even pass on from here, but stay close to my female workers. Keep your eyes on the field that they are harvesting and follow after them. I strongly ordered the young men not to touch you. When you are thirsty, you can go to the jars and drink from the water the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing down to the ground, and she says to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you've noticed me, even though I'm a foreigner? Ruth's a foreigner. She's a goy. She's a Gentile. And yet Boaz's eyes have fallen onto her. We know that Boaz is a righteous man. He's actually, the rabbis draw out that he is, Boaz is actually the judge Ibzan in the book of Judges. So he's a righteous man. And so Boaz has taken notice of Ruth. He's taken notice of her beauty, because actually, obviously she's a young lady who's out in the field, so guys do what guys do. He notices her. He notices her beauty. He notices her work ethic as well as her moral character. Because it's at this point he pulls her aside and says, man, what you're doing is a blessing. You are honoring your mother-in-law and working your tailbone off to feed and provide for you. And on top of it, you're a Gentile. And you know our laws according to our Torah. Some beautiful stuff going on here. So Boaz replied and said to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. He did his research, even more so. How you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and came to a people you did not know before. He's impressed. He's really impressed. He's so impressed, in fact, not to give away the rest of the story, he's going to end up wanting to marry her. But he's, he's got his eye on her. And this is where our story continues on this week. Verse 12. So Boaz said, may Adonai repay you for what you have done, and may you be fully rewarded by Adonai, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And Ruth said, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your maidservant, even though I'm not one of your maidservants. Clearly, Ruth was in need of encouragement. This is seen in her response to his blessing. He blessed her and she says, thank you so much. I just really needed that. You don't even know me and you just encouraged me. This reminds me of the words of former U.S. District Court judge, Learned Hand, and he says this. Words are chameleons. They reflect the color of their environment. 
You see, the words that we speak reflect our current outlook in life, the things that we say day to day. These environments, which learned refers to, are spoke, are, that we speak about are multifaceted. So in other words, when we speak, when I stand up here and I speak, my words are interpreted differently according to each individual's experience. That's why we can all sit here, listen to David read from the Torah, and we all pick up something different. Well, I guess that's kind of two, two things going on there. First of all, we know the word of God is living, and so it speaks to us where we need to. But secondly, we all have different life experiences. That means when someone talks to, about something in the Bible that you've got experience with, you're like, yeah, amen, I see that. When there's other things that the Bible talks about, you're like, I don't know about that. I can't relate to that. God says, okay, just keep listening. I got something for you. Both the one who speaks and the one who listens interprets what's being said according to their own life experiences, both in the past and the present. And sometimes, actually more often than not, how we feel in the present gets in the way of what we've learned and experienced in the past, right? I mean, I might have a really bad day, a really bad day, and I forget that my God loves me and cares for me and he's provided for me. And I speak things to my children or I speak things to my wife that don't reflect what I know that I know already. That's life. That's what we're constantly dealing with here, that, that, that inclination, inclination with us as humans as we constantly live in the present. As David had read for us in Deuteronomy 28, God says, hey, it's not just about what's currently going on. It is in the future. If you don't want these curses, stick to the blessings. And if you're in the curses, then revert back to number one and go back to the blessings and repent. So last week, we saw that Ruth served as a perfect example of this when she wanted to be called, excuse me, Naomi served as the perfect example of this when she wanted to be called bitter rather than pleasant. Her current circumstances were getting in the way of re remembering what Adonai had for her, and we talked about that because the greatest blessing that she had was standing right next to her in her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and she failed to see that. But it changes this week. We also see this concept expressed in the story this week with Boaz and Ruth. So we see that Boaz is in a place where he's blessed and at peace with God. You know, this is shown by his previous greeting last week when he goes and sees his workers in verse 2 and he says, Blessed, oh, excuse me, Adonai be with you. And his re workers reply back, May Adonai bless you. The very forethought, the first thought on, Adonai, on Boaz's mind when he sees his workers is, hey, God bless you guys. You guys are awesome. You're doing great. God has blessed us. And they're like, yeah, buddy, he has. God, continue to bless you so you can keep paying me good. You know, so he's blessed and he's excited and he's happy. But life isn't always happy, is it? We have ups and downs. Because when we see that within Ruth, Ruth, along with Naomi, they're in, a, they're in a place of pain, of loss, and in Ruth's instance, hard work. Because, you know, sometimes we have to work hard to get out of the predicaments we found ourselves in. Whether they're caused by our own doing or we stumbled into the consequences of somebody else's poor judgment call. We see that in her, in her response to the blessing that, that uh, Boaz gives to her, 
She needed acknowledgement that she was doing what was right and to keep going. Husbands, husbands, and I'm preaching to myself more than anyone else. Our wives need encouragement. They get downtrodden. You know, as a husband, I'll take on the world. Get out of my way. You, you, you wronged me, you shamed me, I don't care, whatever. I'm going to keep going, keep plugging along. But our wives, they need that encouragement. They need us to come and say, honey, you're doing awesome. You're doing awesome with the kids. Being a mother is a thankless job. Can we, can we all realize that? Because you create these beautiful children, and they reject what you say, and they question everything you say, and then they break all your stuff. <laughs> you know, but you still love them, and it's a thankless job sometimes. But you know, every once in a while, you do have that ray of hope where a child says, you know, thank you, Dad. Thank you, Mom, for doing this. But you know what? As a husband and as a wife, we're not going to get that most of the time. We need each other. The two become one. We need each other to lift each other up and keep each other going. She needed to be acknowledged that she was doing the right thing, to keep going, to not give up and go back to her homeland. She needed to know if everything she had been through was worth it. And how often do we find ourselves in that, when we're struggling with the challenges of, of the world and of life, and we say, God, I don't know if it's worth it. I'm done. I'm out. And we'd hear that still, small voice that says, hold on. Just wait. Just wait. See what I got for you. We see this in the book of Proverbs or Michelet, chapter 15, verse 4. And it says this, a healing tongue is a tree of life, but a deceitful one crushes the spirit. We know for sure that the words that we speak will be received back to us. We will reap what we sow. Chapter 16, verse 24 of the same book of Proverbs says, Pleasant words are honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. Death and life, in the following chapter, in chapter 18, verse 21, death and life are in the control of the tongue. Those who indulge in it will its fruit. This shows us that our words are more powerful than we can ever imagine, for they have the power to cut deep and to hurt someone, but our words in a beautiful turnabout have the power to heal deeply and bring forgiveness and enjoyment and sweetness to a person's life. Verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here and eat some bread and dip your piece into the wine vinegar. So she sat beside the harvesters, and he held out to her roasted grain. She ate until she was full, and some was still left. When she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his workers, saying, Let her glean, even among the sheaves. Do not humiliate her. Also, be sure to pull out some grain for her from the sheaves and leave them for her to pick up. Do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, when she thrashed what she had gathered. There was about an ephah of barley. She carried it back to town where she showed her mother-in-law what she had gleaned. Then Ruth took some out, gave her what was left over after eating her fill. So she eats her fill again. So this word ephah in the Hebrew, it means a measure of grain. It's actually of an Egyptian origin, and it's equivalent about to a bushel. Now, what is a bushel? 
for those of you who haven't gathered apples lately or cherries or peaches, a bushel is about 48 pounds. Oh. That is 48 pounds of wheat berries. Okay, wheat, barley, fairly similar in weight. 48 pounds right there. Just to give you an idea of how much she actually gleaned, because this is a big deal here. Like, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, a bushel of wheat. If you've ever held a bushel of anything, it is not light. And this woman is not only going to thresh it out, she's going to glean it all during the day, she's going to thresh it out, and then she's going to hoist it up on her shoulder and carry the whole thing home. You're more than welcome after service here to come pick up this thing. It's not fun. And it's got a handle on the bucket. It makes it very easy. But it's a lot. You see, for each stalk of grain that she would have gleaned, there would have been 20 to 60 individual wheat kernels on it, or barley kernels on it, which means an average per pound is about 14,000 wheat berries. This, this is a canning jar, a quart jar of wheat berries. This is basically a day's worth of food here, just to put into perspective how much she gleaned. So between what's down here and what's right here is the amount that Ruth gleaned for one day. This is miraculous. Obviously, Boaz had a hand in helping her out, which was a miracle because he provided for her. But then she carried the whole thing home. It's a lot there. And not only did she get enough for one day's worth of food, she got enough for both her and, and um, Naomi, thank you, to eat for 10 solid days. So we see some numbers taking place. Remember that number 10. It's a good number to remember. So at this point, when she gets home, Naomi's curiosity is actually piqued. Because as a gleaner, Ruth has brought back an excessive amount of food. Plus, she brought, over, brought back leftovers. And who doesn't love leftovers? Especially, like, there's certain leftovers, you know, you go to a restaurant, you eat it, and you're like, oh, that was really good. But then you let it sit in the refrigerator, and you take it out the next day, and you're like, why is it so much better today? You know, as those flavors meld together. I'm just thinking of the, the food we had a couple weeks ago. I'm sorry. I'm up here all drooling. <laughs> I digress. So verse 19. So her mother-in-law figured this out, and she goes, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? May the one who noticed you be blessed. She realizes something's happened here. That she just hasn't gleaned this. She's been blessed. She told her mother-in-law with whom she had been working, saying, the name of the man from whom I worked is Boaz. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by Adonai who has not stopped his kindness to the living or to the dead. Then Naomi asked her, this man is clearly, is closely, or excuse me, Naomi said to her, this man is closely related to us, one of our kinsmen redeemers. It is at this point Naomi's eyes have opened. She has seen the faith that she's had being blessed now. The eyes of her understanding are being opened. You know, this word kindness is, chas, is chasdo, and it comes from the shoresh chesed, which means goodness, considerate, generous, or kind. I find it very interesting that this particular Hebrew word is masculine. For those of you who don't know, languages other than English have masculine and feminine forms. 
it helps with translating and all that stuff and how you're going to work, work things together. But I find it very interesting in times like this when we see that a word that chased is actually masculine. It's not feminine. In our culture, we traditionally think of things like uh, goodness and generosity and kindness as a feminine trait. Like, my wife is so good and kind. But God would say, you know, in the dichotomy of things, I need you men to be kind, to be good. I need you to be masculine, to be strong. But remember, with your strength comes kindness. Don't be a jerk. Calm down. See what's going on first before you react. Because remember, you need kindness and chesed for other people. The character traits we're seeing in Boaz are a reflection of God in his life. It's this reflection that Naomi sees, which causes her to then give glory to God. Ruth continues sharing her experience in verse 21. Then Ruth, the Moabitess, oh, very interesting scripture is being clear to point out, yes, she's still a Gentile, guys. She says, he even said to me, stay close to my workers until they have finished the entire harvest. Naomi answered her daughter-in-law, Ruth, it is good, my daughter-in-law, that you go out with his female workers so that you will not be harmed in another field. So she stayed close to Boaz's female workers, gleaning until both the barley harvest and the wheat harvest were completed. Meanwhile, she lived with her mother-in-law. So if we go back to our uh, harvest cut time calendar that we looked at last week, we see that the barley harvest happens between early April, early May. It can fluctuate depending upon the year. And the wheat harvest happens between late May and mid-July. This means that Ruth has spent approximately three to four months working alongside Boaz and his workers. And he still has affection for her. It's really interesting. The reason I say that is because when we look at threshing, at the threshing floor specifically, this is a place of separation. You'd go in, you know, and you'd, you'd harvest the barley or you'd harvest the grain, you'd let it dry out, then you'd take it in, and then you'd just beat the tar out of it. You, like you see these women here doing on that drum there. Just beat it until all the grains fall out. You would then take it, and then you would take that big pile that you have, and you would, you would thresh it. You would throw it up in the air, and the grains would fall because they're heavy, and the wheat chaff would blow away. That means Boaz, for three to four months, has sat here and had eyes on this stinky, sweaty, hard-working woman. He is infatuated with her. He has a desire for her, a love for her. And we're going to see this play out next time we're together. And I think it's safe to assume that at this point, Boaz has seen her at her worst and still loves her. This is a direct reflection of our Messiah, Yeshua. For in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, we read this. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, the Messiah died on behalf of ungodly people. Now it is a rare event when someone gives up his life, even for the sake of somebody righteous, although possibly for a truly good person one might have the courage to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us and that the Messiah died on our behalf while we were still sinners. Therefore, since we now have come to be considered righteous by means of his bloody sacrificial death, how much more will we, will we be delivered through him from the anger of God's judgment? For if we were reconciled with God through his son's death when we were enemies, how much more will we be, 
will we be delivered by his life now that we are reconciled? Ruth and Naomi have found themselves in this helpless, destitute state and are in need of a deliverer, a Messiah. And yet in the midst of their needs, we see Ruth taking actions to survive. You see, sometimes we feel like the only thing we can do is survive, to tread water, to keep our heads above the waterline. Sometimes doing just enough is enough. We have ebbs and flows in our lives. Sometimes I'm just trying to stay above water, keep it all together. But there's other times when we have the ability to do more. And we need to jump at those chances, for we don't know who is needing us to reflect the love of our Messiah to them. Ruth jumped at her chance while Naomi was still treading water. Remember, this book is about the faith of Naomi. We all have an ephah, or a measure with which to offer God. But we only have one life to harvest and to thresh that grain. So let's step out and start doing some harvesting. Shabbat shalom.